Hi there, esteemed audience, and welcome to another episode of Middle Grade Ninja. I'm your host, Rob Kent. As you know, I'm the author of Banneker Bones and the Giant Robot Bees, and its sequel, Banneker Bones and the Alligator People, and its upcoming, still, still, yet to be revealed, third, Banneker Bones and the... We'll find out, uh, but it's very threatening now, so, so be excited. That'll be out early next year. Uh, Banneker Bones is an 11-year-old boy genius biracial boy detective uh, who fights giant robot bees with Blast of EMP uh, Blast and fights uh, alligator people with a mech suit he invented with the help of his ever-faithful 11-year-old cousin, Ellicott Skullworth. Um, if you're curious about it, and honestly, you, you've been watching or listening to the show for a Goodness knows how long. You like me. You like hearing me talk about writing. At this point, why wouldn't you go find out and see if I can do it? So check out Banneker Bones and the Giant Robot Bees as a paperback, an audiobook, and the ebook is free, free to download whenever you're watching or listening to this, wherever fine ebooks are sold. Uh, if you prefer uh, a scarier story, I've got you covered, because under the super secret pen name Robert Kent, I've written such books as All Together Now, a zombie story, and its follow-up, All Right Now, a short zombie story, uh, as well as The Book of David, which is just the craziest five-volume serial horror novel you'd ever want to read. Uh, it's about an atheist who buys a haunted house that then uh, begins to give him religious visions involving flying saucers. Uh, it's five chapters long. Each chapter gets progressively crazier uh, to where the fifth chapter, I can't believe nobody has sent me a letter or come knocking on my door, uh, is really out there. Uh, so if you're curious, you want to see me do my Stephen King impersonation, the Book of David, like I say, is five chapters long. You can get the first chapter as an ebook for free whenever you're watching or listening to this. So the Book of David, Chapter 1 by Robert Kent. Download that, dip your toe in. If you hate it, no worries. You're not out any money, just a little bit of time. If you love it, well, come see me from with money for chapters two, three, four, and five. You'll have a good time. Uh, coming up on the Middle Grade Ninja podcast, honestly, your guest is as good. Your guest is as good as mine. We've got all kinds of fabulous guests scheduled, uh, but we keep rescheduling, and I keep being wrong about who's coming up next. So just know, next Saturday, I will be here with somebody fabulous. I hope you will be as well. Uh, if you like, go to middlegradeninja.com. You can see a, a list of everybody that's scheduled and what I'm planning to talk to them and know that they'll be along hopefully sooner rather than later. Uh, and that's it for announcements. Today I am talking with author Alicia D. Williams. Uh, and is it Alicia or Alicia? How should I say it? It's Alicia. <laughs> Alicia, good, okay. Alicia D. Williams, welcome to Middle Grade Ninja. I'm really excited to talk with you and your, about your book, Genesis Begins Again, which I absolutely love. Uh, and hopefully I've got all kinds of questions for you about it. But probably the best place to start is if you would just give a esteemed audience an overview of yourself and your background. Okay. I am a, a writer. I always wonder where to begin, but I am... You know, I, I started off doing storytelling. I love the old folk tales, African-American folk tales, and I used to perform them. I will write my one-woman shows and perform them. And I went to acting school. So after graduating University of Kentucky, I figured, oh, what am I going to do? I went to acting school, then left acting school, tried to do everything from stand-up comedy, sketch comedy, and plays, and then left New York, and boom. I wrote my own shows, did well, uh, the uh, the storytelling, and eventually it progressed to, hey, let me write plays and let me try that. And now here I am as a writer. You've been a little bit of everywhere, right? Because you grew up in Detroit, 
right? Yeah. And then uh, you were in Kentucky, and I know I'm talking to you today from Charlotte. Is that right? Yes, yes. I'm, I'm, <laughs> I used to be such a risk taker. I used to, once I left uh, Detroit, yes, I went to uh, Kentucky for undergrad. But I left there and went to Kalamazoo, Michigan for a little while for Western Michigan. Couldn't stand it and went back to Kentucky where I guess it was my first love because it was like, hey, this is school. I met some real cool people and I wanted to go back to those people. And after that, I didn't really know what I want to do. I know I graduated with an African-American histories major, but as far as teaching, I just wasn't ready to live life. And so there was this one little flyer, you know, for acting and I pulled it off went to audition, I got in, and poof, I was off to New York. And that was probably the best experience. It's, instead of taking a gap year, that was like a gap year for me because I got to live life and I got to be an actress. I got to meet cool people, see famous people walking up and down the street of New York. It was probably the best. And after that, I kind of got tired of being a, a starving artist. And I left there, went back to Detroit, couldn't stand it because I was like, oh, I'm back home, back to feeling like I'm oppressed. Mom's always like, where are you going? You know, like I was so free that I didn't want to have anybody to tell me what to do. Ended up becoming a flight attendant. Yes. <laughs> so obviously young adult novelist is the only spot that you should have ended up. I mean, it's a straight line. That's how I got here to Charlotte. <laughs> so how, well, there's a lot to ask you about there. Uh, we'll, have to, we'll have to go back along the chair a little bit. So, okay, this is this is after you finish an African-American uh, history degree that you decide that just, just out of the blue, I, I want to act. Had you acted in anything prior to that? I did. <laughs> you know the little growing up in the church plays that, you know, Easter, every Easter you had to quote a little rhyme. I did those, um, but everyone had to do those. Uh, in college, I did do one play. Um, I forget the name of it, but it was uh, all women in the cast. I did that one play, but I remember like growing up, I did have the in me was like, oh, I want to do this play. Like The Wizard of Oz was in my middle school and I really want to do it. I just didn't have the courage to do it. And I talked myself into like, yeah, I could see myself. But when it came down to auditioning, I never even went up there. I didn't, I was just not, I didn't believe in myself, I guess, or too too shy, whatever. And, um, and then it was another play. I've always said I was going to do the plays, but I never did them all through high school. Never did them. Uh, so I don't know. I think it was in me. I think I finally blossomed later. I was like, hey, I feel good about this. You know, I can still be shy, but on stage, you're not really interacting with the audience. So you're still in that bubble, that fourth wall you never break. So maybe perhaps I was able to do it then because I realized it. But it was a it was a crazy jump, I would say. You're just in the mood for a change and said, "All right, I'm doing this." It was a crazy jump. I it was it was. I think it was not necessarily in the mood for a change. I think it was more so that I wasn't ready for a real life. 
Ah, uh, why that I can absolutely relate to. <laughs> yeah, the idea. I remember going to a career fair, and I was, and you know people were there, and and the salary and the you know insurance and like the real major life decisions were at this table, every table, and I'm like, oh my gosh. Once I graduated, I had to get a real job, a real nine to five, a real. I just that didn't make sense to me in my young age. You know, I just didn't have that. I'm a first generation college student. So um, so the expectations of what you what I was supposed to do, it wasn't there. You know, just going to college was like, yay. And graduating was like, oh, she did it. So it wasn't like. We know how to guide your footsteps so you can live this life. It was just like, oh, I'm, I'm gonna try this now. I'm gonna try this now. I'm gonna try. I'm gonna try New York. I'm gonna try being a flight attendant. It was always this. I'm gonna try. So there wasn't the sense of, hey, we we just paid a lot of money for you to get a degree, so you were gonna go get the better job and and come back here and. They didn't pay any money. Oh, okay. Wow. Well. <laughs> <laughs> I guess they didn't have anything to say. <laughs> they, didn't have anything to say. they didn't pay any money. I mean, they may have like moved my furniture back and forth, and they were probably tired of that. They were like, "When are you going to graduate?" You know, because I was on a six-year plan, trying to change my major every year. But I just I had no clue, no clue what I wanted to do with my life. So when did you figure it out, or have you? Gosh, that is like the. I feel sometimes I feel like I'm this kid trying to play an adult at my age like when am i going to grow into being a full-fledged serious adult i think i am i mean the bills are here like it's not a dream i keep pinching myself like are they going to just disappear but I, I i i think for me it was like measure myself with everyone around me, people I've graduated with, they're financial consultants, engineers, attorneys. I mean, like they have these real concrete jobs that you dream of when you're little. And I couldn't do that. And even at my age, having this, oh, we're going to do this because we can afford it because we make these big salaries. And like, yeah, I can't do that right now because I'm just in the wind working job from job, right? So I don't think I learned what I was supposed to do. I took jobs, not careers. You understand the difference? You know, for a career to saying, this is what I was meant to be and I'm happy doing this versus, you know, I need a job to pay the bills. I need a job to take care of my child. That's what I was doing. But now that, you know, I'm writing, I think when the shift of me becoming a mom and Really, when she began to understand, and I had to teach her, like, you know, you're in school now. When you go to college, I want you to be able to have a career. I don't want you to set up for a job. I don't want you to be like me, taking, you know, micromanagers and feeling depressed because, and anxiety because people are, you know, over you. I never wanted my daughter to have what I've been through. And I needed to prove to her that she could do it by modeling it. And that's when I went to back to school for my graduate degree. And I still didn't believe in myself enough. I mean, I'm thanking it for her, but I didn't believe in myself enough that I was gonna become an author because I didn't even finish the manuscript. But when I finished the manuscript and got an agent, it started to open up like, well, maybe this is the thing 
but it still wasn't not until maybe the last few years, you know, feeling like I wholeheartedly like doing this. I mean, yeah, there's some angst about it. Um, you know, the revisions process, the waiting, the like there's angst all up in it. Right. But the seeing my book out there and having somebody say this touched me and I'm like, well, maybe this all of that experience that I went through, all of everything that I trying to find my way, maybe that was for a bigger purpose. Maybe that wasn't for me. Maybe it wasn't because I didn't know. Maybe it's because I need to write this stories that may in these experiences to draw upon that maybe it's for somebody else. So that's the way I look at it now. Like maybe I wasn't supposed to get out of college and ha have an engineering degree or have something magical happen that like this is it and I got the big fancy house. No, maybe that struggle and maybe the ups and downs and the curves and everything was for, for me to write, you know? Well, not to worry now that you've published a novel. Uh, you'll never have to worry about angst or uncertainty ever again. That That's over. <laughs> no problem. Now, you know you got to worry about the next one, the next one, and then the next one. I like that. Like everyone says, each book is different, right? And and how do I write the next book? And would they like it? And will pu the publisher like it? And uh, will, will it measure up to the other one? Like you have all these other uh, anxieties that may come become attached to it. I don't think it's like, yeah, I wrote one book and then that's it. Unless you're like Harper Lee and that is always going to be on the shelf for Essie Hinton. That is always going to be on the shelf and surviving. And um, but you, yeah, the dream is to have that classic. But what if it's not? And what if it stops in five years? Nobody mentions it because something else came along and knocked it out the way, right? So. You, Staying relevant in this business is pretty much is where the next anxiety lies. Well, the good news is you're on the Middle Grade Ninja podcast, so now you're probably the most famous yes, author yes, that yes. ever was. You're, you're good. My worries are over. <laughs> yes. <Some folks>. yes. <laughs> <laughs> but the nice thing is now that you've uh, you've decided that you are, I assume, going to continue writing and produce more novels, you've got just a wealth of different experiences and, and stories to draw on, right? Yes. Um, and, and so funny, <laughs> the older I get, I, I feel like I have to write them down because things start slipping away from you, memories and experiences. So one of the best things that I need to commit to, I, and, um, I had a advisor who during the time of being in school made us write a list of five things, people, places, objects, secrets, and events. And you write the words for each one. So all your objects that are, are like, what these things, how can I phrase it? That makes sense. Write a list like of these five categories that you wouldn't be the same without. So of course my, my parents, my grandparents, like, or events of, you know, me skinning my knee or whatever. So I will write a paragraph a day on just choosing one of those and just write. And then it will conjure up other memories. Like, oh yeah, forgot that. So I need to do that, be more proactive in doing that because I don't want those memories to slip away. Everything I've gone through, um, because my mama say, hey, remember that? And I'm like, no, how's that etched in your memory, but not in mine. So I have to like really go back and mine that well 
because I need that well. I went through it for some reason, and now, you know, because I'm getting old, I can't remember them. So, yeah, I do believe that. I do have a lot of stories. But then I think of, I had this breakdown last week. No, a, a, a couple of weeks I had this breakdown. I, I started writing a story a couple of years ago before Genesis actually came out. And it, it's a book that's a, a major book that's already out, that came out. And I was like, when I came out, I was like, oh, God, it's so darn similar. Like, I can't write this book. It's, it has some similarities to this. And this is a bestseller. And I put it down not to look at it. But lately, it's called me out. Like, I need you to work on me. So I'm trying to make it different. Um, so I had this conversation like, oh, my gosh, I'm telling stories. The well of stories in me, they're already out there. What if they're already out there? How... How am I going to be different? So I was listening to something about every story's been told, but it's the authenticity that you bring to it that makes a difference. So we have a hundred Romeo and Juliet's, but the way you bring your authentic self to that and the way you tell that story makes a difference and it makes it true and it makes it original. So I have to trust that the way I view this story and the, the Alicia-ness that I bring to it will make it different versus the one that's, that's the same. So no one can like, oh, harp on the similarities because it feels so real to that person. Like somebody could say that about Genesis. Oh, um, the skin is just like the skin you're in or, um, or something, but the authenticity of me bringing myself to that story makes it so much different. That makes sense. Absolutely makes sense. That's something I've been trying to uh, drill into my uh, poor writing students, and my my, my I, I teach at the Indiana Writers Center here, uh, and I had uh, uh, one woman I'm so proud of. She she just published her first. Uh, short piece and a, and a story over the summer, uh, but she wrote me and she was just very upset because she'd written this story about the apocalypse and there was a movie that came out that was somewhat similar. Uh, and I just kind of broke it down for her and said, well, now, would you have cast this actor? No. Would you have done this? Well, no, not exactly. And they didn't tell the story that she, you know, I told her, you know, I've written two different zombie books. There are plenty of zombie stories already. These are mine. <laughs> they, they had the the Rob Kentness up to them, so I, I, I hope that uh, all of the authors out there listen to that, take that to heart. That we might have heard a similar story. I think there's only seven major plots. Uh, so I think that's what Christopher Booker broke it down to, or maybe 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 it was somebody uh, prior to him, and I just read his uh, version of it probably. <laughs> <laughs> but the seven basic plots, these these stories have been kind of sort of told already, but we haven't heard your version. Mm-hmm. So let's uh, we're going to talk a lot about Genesis Begins again because I have lots of questions about that. But I want to I want to get to how you got to writing because it, it's again it's it's a it's a bit of a journey that's not straightforward. And I want to I want to find out how you got there so the people that are listening and say I want to be the next Alicia Day Williams, listen close, lean in. We're going to get to it. <laughs> <laughs> so you go off and you become an actress. How long are you an actress? And you you went from Kentucky, just moved to New York. Did you know anybody out there, or did you just go there? I got it. Oh my gosh. I feel like um, 3030. Have you ever watched? Is it 3430 on ESPN? Uh huh. 
This is what it feels like if you make me start digging deep, uh, Rob. <laughs> well, if we get to anything you're uncomfortable with, just say, let's change the subject. <laughs> like, uh, like, have me thinking uh, um, uh, the tears come. Well, I, 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 will, I will admit the side story. But yeah, I got into the school and I didn't, I didn't know anyone in New York. It just worked out. So, okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah, it worked out. I, would about, I was about to tell you about the ex-husband and everything. That, that, that doesn't matter. But um, <laughs> I, I, once I got there, okay, I'll tell you. Quick story. Quick story. Okay. So I got there and I, I got married right out of college to someone I knew from middle school. And because I got married, we moved to Jersey City. We didn't know anyone, but the, met the person who lived, moved in our building and met somebody who helped us look for an apartment. Um, he decided, hey, I need to find myself. And I was like, I'm in this acting school. I got to go to New York every day from New Jersey, Jersey City, and you got to find yourself. So you're going to leave me. So he, he left me in New York. I had no money. And he went back home to Detroit and it was some crazy, crazy things happened. I had no money. I, I budgeted the $300 I had and I lived off of 55 cents a day for the bagel for the morning and $1.50 slice of cheese pizza during the evening um, for, for lunch. And the, girl, the lady I met that was a single mom, she took care of me. She, when I got home that, at night, she would save a meal for me. Yes. So I traveled back and forth and there was a young lady from Russia. So I, I'm in the school and I really, I'm, I don't know anybody, but I'm getting to know all of us actors because we're all in our 20s, like 23 or whatever. So it was really great. And a young lady from Russia, Anya, she saw me trying to calculate, like, how can I stay here? Because I can't go back to Detroit. I, I mean, where would, where would I go? I have less than $300 how would I be able to stay another semester? Um, and so she stopped me. She saw me in the hallway trying to figure it out. She said, I see something in you and I want to know if you saw it too. I'll bring you $500 tomorrow. And I was like, no, I was like, are you, are you part of the Russian mafia? I like, no, <laughs> I was, who does that? Like not even people in my family were coming up to my fit. Like, so I was like, no, thank you. She was like, I know how much it takes to take care of my sister. Cause her parents died, left their money and she was taking care of her younger sister. I bring you $500. I wrote that check out to stay another semester. And, and she let me stay with her and her loft in New York, apartment, in New York, rent free, rent free. I still owe her, like she disappeared after that next semester. I still owe her money. I, she left. Um, so I went there. You think she got whacked by the Russian mob? <laughs> <laughs> no. She's like, like literally, I think, I used to say she was an angel, you know, sent for me. But like one day I saw her walking down the street. She had on a wig and a hat and a, like a long trench coat. And I'm walking and I was like, that is Anya? And she was like, stop. I was like, Anya, I owe you money. Like, I took out, like, the money. I, she was like, okay, okay. And she, I was like, what's your number? I need to pay you back. She was like, no, no, no. And she walked away, like, I was like, are you part of the mafia for real? 
Like, you don't want to stay in touch and want me to pay you back the rest of the money? But, like, she disappeared. I saw her that one time afterwards. But, like, so I did, I used to take this the risk, a leap of faith. Didn't know anyone, but things just kind of always worked out. Even when I felt like I was hitting rock bottom, they worked out. I stayed in New York, um, did everything that I can imagine. Like, I enjoyed meeting. I was I wasn't an introvert there, obviously, because I was just like, ah, like, let's do it. I, I did auditions that I know I had no business auditioning for, like for a model, only because they were going to Africa and I want to go to Africa. I was like, hey, I'll do it. They were like, no, you're too short. I was like, nope, not really. See me walk. Didn't make it. But like I auditioned for dance troops that I knew I wasn't capable of doing. I was so fearless at that in that age that, you know, um, I just was risky, you know. Had you been like that before or was it once you got there that you suddenly found this part of yourself? I think that's when I found myself more so. I, I can't say that I was in, in undergrad. I was so much more meek. I took a lot. But somehow in New York, after my husband left and me fending for myself, that my voice started to take shape. And I I, I, I don't know if it was, it was even a conscious thing. It was just a boat thing. Everyone in New York was doing something. You know, you, you're around people who are you know, auditioning for Broadway. You're like, I want to do it too. You, It was just the energy. You kind of get swept up for it. Like we used to go, uh, my roommate and I used to go to the comedy club in Boston, at Boston's uh, comedy club. They found out that some of the guys found out we were actresses. We all did a sketch comedy group together. And then it was like, hey, y'all might as well do stand up. And it was like the, the most, Scariest feeling in the world because your stomach just drops right before. But they were so like, hell, let me help you write your jokes. People that are like you see in movies now and making it big. I'm like, yep, I did comedy with that person. It was just, I don't know if I was cut out for it, the late nights, or if I just needed my own identity because I think me and my roommate just kind of meshed. And as I was developing my own identity, Somehow when we did that, it was like just us two as a pair. And i that's a whole nother tangent that I, I felt like I needed to escape it. That's why I went back to Detroit and left, left New York. Just because you... Needed my own identity again. Okay. Yeah, I was, I was feeling like I was being swallowed into hers. And I didn't... I, I needed to, I don't know. I just felt like I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm being crushed under this weight of being a twin. Okay. Yeah. That's a, so, yeah. That meant, like, it was, I was so young. <laughs> I was still, instead of saying, hey, I couldn't even voice it. I guess I couldn't have voiced it, but I couldn't, I couldn't, I didn't know what I was feeling to really articulate it. But it was part of the journey, I really think. Otherwise, I wouldn't be a writer right now. And so then you became a flight attendant after that? Yes, I was working in the mall in Detroit, hating it, selling cosmetics. And so one of the ladies at the mall was like, hey, why don't you be a flight attendant? I was like, okay. I never even wrote planes really before. Um, it was just, okay, I'll do it. And so I went, I did, uh, 
interviewed and they I made it. I was just <laughs> that's when it stopped. That's when this whole flighty, I'll try everything stop because I became a mom. Right. Um, about a year later, I became a mom. And everything, every decision I made was depending on if she would eat or, you know, would we have a roof over our head because I was also a single mom. So that whole risk taking just kind of squashed it. And it was just everything was like, I have to plan it out. So I wish I now I hope to get back some of that. But I've been so like Nay's mom for so long, like, oh, I gotta, I gotta make sure she eats. I gotta, you know, because I still struggled. I uh, still, there were times where, because I had to take jobs that I, I would, didn't have a qualification, you know, I took jobs that didn't pay well. And so if she didn't eat all her meal, then I got to eat that night. It, were, it was literally nights that if she ate it all, I didn't eat that night. So I know that I kind of lost myself into trying to make sure I could survive and never be in a position where she didn't have, um, where it looked like I couldn't take care of her. So that's, that's when, you know, I still had that creativeness and I still clung to that. Um, and I was writing like, for the library, I would write these one woman shows and perform them around different the circuit of the library where I did. Um, I was commissioned to do a Toni Morrison story. I, I did the Mourners, Mourners Bench because she was coming. This is years ago when my daughter was a baby. So I, I reenacted uh, Margaret Garner. Um, that's off of Beloved. That's the story, the Margaret Garner, um, the enslaved um, woman. And I will write these stories based off of history, you know, major events and people in history. And I will perform them and try to make money at churches, uh, whoever would take me. So I still clung to that part of me. So were you writing your own material back in Boston all through to that point? I mean, you mean in New York? I'm sorry, yes. I, I tried my hand at a play. I dug it out, actually, like uh, the summer. I, I tried my hand at a play and had a reading at Columbia University. Um, so I was digging. I was starting my hand at it. But I never pushed forward with, like, let me set it up after, you know, for full and front. Um, I was so busy trying to get other auditions. But, but... That's when that kind of set the seed because people who read the play enjoyed it. Like this, I could see this. I would have, um, I, but I read, let me say this. I did write my own material for the stand-up. So I guess that would count a little bit. I'm going to confess my ignorance real quick. You said Boston Comedy Club. Is the Boston Comedy Club in New York? Yes. Okay, good. That's right. <laughs> So you were writing your own material and getting up on stage, and I assume at least once or twice, uh, eating it pretty bad and having to, to, to toughen up and then go back out there and try. I, I, I'm horrified of that. 
Uh, I love to sneak in a quick snarky joke now and again and get my couple of laughs where, where I can. That's fine. Go get in front of a group of people and talk about books and maybe get a laugh or two in there. No problem. But go stand up in front of a bunch of strangers with the sole purpose of if you don't laugh, you're going to turn on me and you're going to be mad. <laughs> <laughs> I remember I got heckled. Oh, I got heckled at one place. Oh, it was the worst. I called my granny. I was like, a mom. She was like, what did you use? Clean words or did you use dirty words? I was like, I used some dirty words too. <laughs> like that was the reason why. But <laughs> I was like, I, I don't know. Just to add so you weren't funny but... and you sent. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and that's it. So I was like, I, this is the worst. This is the worst. But I there had some success though, or you would have quit doing it early. You must have had some laughs. I did. I did have some laughs. And that there'll be um but then again we also had great people who I, there's this Ian, um he's he writes for other comedy shows. Um and JD Smooth, he's a big no actor. Like they would just sit there like how to make the joke longer or how to how to make the it punchier so they would give advice like after we do it like you know what you could do and you can do it and so be it'd be because we had this family through the sketch comedy group it was just more supportive like how to help these two girls be a funnier so it, it was it, i had big success um but then, and a lot of my jokes came from growing up. So I knew where to draw my jokes from, from my own life. So. And there are several very funny moments in, in Genesis Begins Again. So I'm assuming some of that training is coming into play with your writing as well now. I'm so glad it did. Um, I think Genesis was a lot funnier before the editing process. <laughs> well, that happened. <laughs> so when, I was like, uh, I, when do you start writing seriously? When did I start writing seriously? Uh huh. Um. So in graduate school, because I'm paying for it, like I got undergrad student loans, and now I got more loans. I'm like, I'm serious. I need everything I came here. I'm paying for. Because I don't have a scholarship and there's nothing out there. So I need everything. I'm very serious. Teach me what you have. And I, was, I, I think that's exactly why um, Anne, took, Anne Ursu took a liking to me. She was like, when you got in the program, you worked your butt off. I didn't even know she was noticing it. But I was like, I have to. I have nothing left. Like, I graduated with a degree in African-American studies. What am I going to do with that? Back in the day, it was multicultural, everything. But when I'm, what can I do with that? You know, I haven't done anything, no internships. I got an acting degree. What am I going to do with that? Right, down in Charlotte. I can't teach acting because it's not MFA. So what? I this is everything I need. I have nothing else. I have a child. I got to get this. And I had so to... So what was the goal at that point? Was to get an education with the master's degree? Get an education. I didn't even think about... Of course... You, there's hope to get published. That's the goal because everyone talks about it. But writing it, it wasn't ever, I'm writing this book and I'm going to publish it. It wasn't that. Because if it was, I would have left 
the school with a finished manuscript. I finished with strong 80 pages because you have to have the 80 pages of your thesis, creative thesis. I didn't even work on it. At my anniversary, my one year anniversary of graduating, I was like, okay, Alicia, finish the darn book. Like really commit to the book. You cannot have all the student loans and, and go for two years and not have a finished product. Finish the book before, you know, and then at the same time, I saw people, other people getting books, you know, deals. And I'm like, come on, what are you waiting for? Finish it. I finished it. And I was in a writing group and I um, getting feedback. But I went back to my graduate program as a grad assistant. And that's when um, someone said, I want to read it. And I was like, OK, hold on. I'll be back. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> okay, like, okay, finishing it is not yet ready for somebody to read it. Not somebody that can perhaps like a faculty member who asked for it. So I was like, okay, November, I gave myself from July to November. In November, I finished the revision, like really trying to work hard on making it where somebody would like it. And, and at November, I sent it off to, um, the faculty member that requested it. And this and is Genesis, or is this a different book? Genesis. Genesis. Okay. Um, that was the only really book that I worked on in graduate school, so <laughs> I better finish it. Um, <laughs> and she she liked it. And she said, make some changes, you know, revise it, and gave me some feedback. And that next, by January 5th, gave me a deadline. And January 5th, it was done. And she was like, okay, you should send it out. And we sent it out. Um, I got a few rejections from editors, and I had one that said yes. And that's and that's when it started taking off. And you went straight to an editor without a literary agent no, in between? I'm sorry. Oh, agent. I got oh, okay. rejections. I got a, one agent who said she wanted to be my agent. And then we worked on it together. And... She sent it off, and I got within two weeks. I got five people who wanted it, so it was pretty, pretty exciting time. Pretty so, how long a time are we talking between this amazing five offers, uh, and when you uh, got out of graduate school and finally finished the thing and revised it? How much time elapsed? So, I got a, I graduated uh, in 2013 January. I, I finished it. In January, with after working with, you know, not finishing it, January 5th, 2015 is when the final revision was like, okay, let's send it out for agent. January 5th, I sent it out, and in two weeks, I got an agent. So, and then we shaped it up. To going back and forth in March, we sent it out, and I, in two weeks I got an agent. I mean, an editor in March. So it like two weeks each time. Two weeks I got a. Um, there was a, going back and forth, and so I got a book deal, and it was supposed to come out January two thousand seventeen, but it didn't come out until two thousand nineteen. Gotcha. So what was that like for two years? Uh, sitting on the book, not being able, I assume, not really being able to tell people about it until it's uh, actually available and folks can buy it. Oh, no, the problem is 
Publishers Weekly came out, you know, with the announcement. And I was so excited. I sent it out. I planned on a January. I, I was like, ooh, my my book will come out. My daughter will be graduating. Oh, life is going to be fantastic. Oh, no. I, I would have told no one if I known it was going to be on a delay. <laughs> because people will always ask, well-intentioned, you know, you still working on that book? You're like, yeah. What's the, when is that book going to come out? I have no idea. You know, you <laughs> like really the frustration of it. Like you just get tired of. So I'm like, Shh, what book? What book? There's no book. No book. Um, but you know, you're working, and so. Oh, just wait till they announce movie rights are sold. i don't even like if that ever happens like goodness gracious i don't even know how long that process if the publishers take that long imagine what movie people i i I give it up for people who have to sit on that news but um yeah with genesis and the publisher every i think every publisher may work differently i don't know but my publisher my editor works on one project at a time she says yeah so well that's great you had her complete full attention right hooray so like when I met um we have the same editor as Jason Reynolds so when I met him finally I said you know I hated you he said why I said because you're you're pushing out three books a year I, my editor, you know, Caitlin was never going to look at my book with you pushing out three books a year. It kept pushing my book to the side. Like, like can you slow down and give somebody else a chance to get published? Like, he was like, true, true. I get it. I get it. And so, you know, I had all of this, like, where do I fit down the line? Because they don't, they don't communicate these things to you. So it was a lot of waiting and there's a lot of hungry nights because once you get that money, from the advance, it's gone. Because you're not living like a author. You don't have a deduction. So IRS had his hands out and give me. And then you're like living from paycheck to paycheck. So you kind of pay off some bills if you have those. And then you're like, oh, it didn't stretch. I thought I was going to be living the hay on the high horse on my gold plated, getting using my gold plated, you know, computer by then. But it's such a long wait that in the paychecks, you know, dry up and you're just anxiety, full of anxiety. And that was how it was for me. It was just a lot of anxious nights waiting, grinding my teeth, trying to work on something else and getting, I think for me, it was, now I was take long and I, and I was, I'm still learning my process because Genesis is my first book and my process started in graduate school. So it's still, still learning how to write a freaking book. But I thought maybe if I could do something shorter and sell something. So it was this writing out of desperation. Like maybe if I can, ooh, churn something out real quick. And it wasn't the best work. So that's why I wasn't selling. So you're getting frustrated. Like this has got the greatest story ever. How come you're not buying it? You know, and you just can't even see it because it's all this, you know, you have all this extra noise in your head. Oh, gosh. So what is your uh, writing process? I'm still learning it. So um, I start with an idea. With Genesis, I started just putting stuff on the page. 
and trying to figure it out. And I had help with that because I had advisors like, what is this story about? You need some paragraphs, breaks. You need some dialogue. <laughs> you know, I had some, I, I didn't know what I was doing. But with the projects I'm working on now, um, I usually start with the idea with this with this character and what she's what if what is not necessarily a what if, but with this character and this this thing that I want to play with, right? So I draw out web out my antagonists, like what do they want? So like with Genesis, I, I there were two different things that resonated with me in graduate school. What does a character want or or they die? You know, like oh, what what are they to die for? And I figured that out relatively quickly after I found out what the story is about. Like she wants to be beautiful, like mom. Like if she could be beautiful like mom, then she'll save. Then dad will love her and and she'll save her family, right? And then it'll cure his alcoholism. It'll. Like, oh, you're so beautiful that I don't even want to drink again, right? Oh, that away. Yeah. <laughs> I love you. No more for that. <laughs> like, like, that's how I was like, ah! like, if I'm beautiful, then it heal the world. And then what are these challenges that are going to get her there, right? So. It's just in the civil war in Yemen is over. Thank you, Genesis. <laughs> <laughs> this is. If we all become beautiful like Genesis, then that then we will heal like everything. Yes, we will heal everything. So now that's the what I'm trying to take with my challenge with the other novels. Like, what are their challenges? So I start with. So I'm working on um, the story um, character named Sydney. What is she like? Right. What are her hobbies? What are her fears? She's an introvert. So I started with this idea of I have this character and I and something happened with my daughter. How can I connect the two? So my daughter, it was a big thing here in Charlotte where, you know, um, police officer killed the um, football player who was needing help. So, and the, you know, there was protests. I know that my daughter, and I know I won't be out there in the streets joining the protests. Like the anxiety, she deals with depression and anxiety. So I know she wouldn't do it. And I know I'm anxious too. And I know that we wanna be there to support this cause, but how can we do it if we know we can't do it that way? So I had the idea of Sydney, you know, how would she support something like that if she just can't do it? And that's how it bloomed, like with that idea. What are the things that could happen? You know, um, what if she can't do it, how will everyone else treat her? Or you portrayed the cause, you know, these ideas that might happen. So I start branching out the, the possible things um, and drawing it out. But the problem is with me, this takes, I do the same thing over and over. I keep branching out over and over and it, it grows. So I'll write like something with that. It, it'll grow. Like I have to repeat the process. I just can't do it one time. And it'll look the same in every notebook I pick up. 
Like, isn't this the same process you did over here? Yes, but I'm still thinking about it. I'm still keeping it alive. And I'm still thinking about the different characters and who, who, who will stop her from getting to this point of, I need to find my voice, right? So you're and, planning in your, your story ahead of time, notebook after notebook, refining until you actually start and, and sit down and, and put words on the page? I'll free write. It's a hot mess. But I'll, I'll do that. I'll do my, my, my thoughts a lot beforehand. And what I'll do is, before I even get to the page, I'll do that and I'll also do uh, research. So I'm a big on documentaries and everything. So my character, so I, I had really felt like heavy, heavy because I was watching protests, you know, documentaries on protests and different movements and and getting from people who are out there and what the feeling is. And, and so I'm taking that information down too. Very much like I did with Genesis. Like even though I'm, like with Sydney, even though I know firsthand what my daughter won't do uh, or what I won't do because we're anxious, I don't know somebody else who has been in that situation. With Genesis, I'm dark. I have experienced colorism. I still experience colorism. But I know my story may not resonate unless I get a fuller view of other people's experiences. So I watched Dark Girls documentary. I watched the forum that they had that Oprah had on it with adult women talking about how they still hate themselves because of their dark skin. I watched light girls documentary and to see how, um, uh, biracial or very light skinned women experience colorism. I read books, you know, about it. So, I mean, just because I feel like I'm close to the subject, just like Sydney, I feel like I need to research it even more and hear authentic voices who experience it. So I do a lot of that. So I don't know if you can see it. I will journal also like the character. Uh, moving over just to the center, if you would, just in front of your face. Otherwise, I think Skype will cut it out. There we go. Okay. So just long freehand. Is that whole journal filled up? Yes. And I will. I will. I will if I once I start writing like scenes out I'll go back because sometimes I can't I'll get to a point and I'll just stop like I don't know what happens here so I'll go back and I'll write all the questions I have for the scenes it'll help me further develop it'll help me further develop what the where I'm going with the story and that's before you start writing or while you're writing or while even I'm writing once I start writing Okay. Even if I write three chapters and I'm like, I'll, and I'm, I'm writing, I'll write different scenes that can happen. Like I want, I, I visually see daydream that can happen. I'll write them out, but they may not happen sequentially. So I need to fill in those other dead spaces. So I'll go back to the beginning where I started from and read it and write the questions. Of, well, why would dad say that? How would he feel? What made him feel in his childhood that make him feel this way to say that to her why he why is he so controlling did he did he lose something in college you know so i'm i'm asking questions on why these characters for instance with with genesis um dad is dad is an alcoholic and a gambler he just can't be an alcoholic and a gambler for no reason right 
what so I will go back why is dad an alcoholic what happened to him oh his mom was mean to him and told him trifling but why was his mom mean his mom experienced colorism so I had to draw out these backstories so these questions I asked well why why is grandma so mean this because and so I would have to draw out these questions and answer them through the through when I write so a lot of that stuff's not going to make it in the book. You just need to know it. Some of it makes it into the book. Mm -hmm. Genesis a lot made it into the book. If you, if you, spoiler alert. So we know in the book why it's revealed why dad drinks. Right. And he, we know why grandma doesn't like dad. That made it into the book, the whole how her grand her, her father sold insurance and how he looked down on on um, the blacks who worked in uh, the, the sharecropping or whatever versus the ones who were light skinned and had a way up. And that's why tradition is. And, and that's still holds true. So we get these glimpses of the backstory through that's revealed. And <clears throat> I think it helped us to understand more of these characters because um, I know that I didn't want I don't know if I didn't want it but it, as I started developing I needed to understand why mom was just taking it right why did she not stand up why is she what is she afraid of or why is she still with this man there's a reason why. That was and actually the number one hook that kept me reading. Was like, what is wrong with this woman? I got to find out. <laughs> <laughs> like, right? And so, but if it's just backstory for me, you would be dissatisfied with that. It would, you would be upset with mom for allowing this. Because, because so many women stay in relationships that are toxic, that are abusive, that are neglectful. And we're always like, well, why? Like, she can leave. And it's not ever that simple. It may not. It may seem simple for mom's reason, like, oh, you could leave, but you're 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 holding on to this feeling what mom and your mom and dad would say. But is it not for every woman? It's going to be that simple. So I needed to have a reason for everything. So as I write the next book, I don't know if it if it be edited out or if I needed to make it or like maybe Sydney. We need to know why why dad is so hard on Sydney. You know, or or why mom is more of a quiet. Oh, I got some mom. I got some parent issues. Oh, um, <laughs> like or why her where her anxiousness come from and how she deals with it. So we some of it may make it, but I do know for me, I have to know. And that's part of the process. Me a little bit paranoid in doing uh, like character charts or writing histories is once I know for a fact that dad graduated from Purdue University, I'm not going to be satisfied until I put that somewhere in the book, whether it matters or not. I thought I spent a lot of time thinking about where dad went to school, so you will know. <laughs> and, <laughs> and then he dies on page three and it doesn't matter. <laughs> we had a 400-page book, so we had to edit some stuff out. <laughs> okay, sure. <laughs> well, we let's do this real quick. 
I intentionally avoided asking you about Genesis Begins Again because I wanted to, to take the journey of Alicia D. Williams to how you got to become the author. But now that we're talking about the book properly, uh, give, if you wouldn't mind, just a quick overview of the book for esteemed audience who hasn't just read it and isn't, uh, isn't uh, up to the no. Oh, well, Genesis is a 13-year-old girl who hates herself. She has found that one thing about her that makes her unlovable. And that's her dark skin and her natural hair. And she goes about changing it because she feels like if dad will see her as beautiful like mom, light skin, long hair mom, then he will love her and he'll do right. And it's essentially a story that we all have. We all have that one thing that makes us feel like we're not good enough, that makes us unlovable. And we kind of get it unintentionally sometimes from our families that, you know, you're, gosh, I want you to, I wish you were taller like your brother, or I wish you were like this, or, you know, don't eat too much because you're going to be chubby like your auntie. You know, we, we get these that, gosh, we're so unlovable because we got this quality. And so that's the same thing with Genesis. So that, that was, was that, if you'll pardon the, the, the phrasing, the genesis uh, of uh, you're deciding to <laughs> to write this story was you knew you wanted to talk about colorism from the start back in grad school. That was that was your topic that you wanted to focus in on. Now, actually, uh, it was about a girl who was being bullied because of her being heavy. Oh, OK, she just happened to be dark skin with natural hair. And through the revisions of it. It was like, well, she can't deal with everything. She can't deal with the bullies. I had to cut the two bullies out. Um, She can't deal with uh, being heavy plus dark skin and natural hair. And I was like, "Uh, that's a lie. Middle schoolers always deal with stuff, multiple stuff at the same time. So they're like, that's too much. And I was like, either you're saying I'm not handling it well, that I'm not juggling well, or you're saying that kids, because you're telling me kids can't handle it. And I'm thinking they can, but maybe you're telling me I'm not writing it well. So through the revisions, though, I, I stuck to my guns, though. I was like, she is, because that was me. Hello. Um, that eventually, though, as I focused the book more, one of the things had to drop away. And I ended up ch- changing her heavy set. So she had she had issues. She was a big boob, boobs and heaviness, so insecure about her body and her skin. So I kind of had to streamline it just so I could keep up with some of the the plots that, that weaving all the plots through. So, yeah, it was a lot more, too. A lot more. She she abused herself, too. Oh, poor Genesis. But, yeah, I, I didn't set off to write a book about colorism at all. You just eventually arrived there through revisions and trying to decide what was the clearest path. Yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah. So how many revisions did you do? Oh, gosh, like two boxes full. Like, you know, somebody that hears this and is already like pouring themselves a drink in the middle of the afternoon going, oh, my God, it was on submission for two weeks. And then she had five offers. Oh, my God, (laughs) what's wrong with me? This isn't just your first book. This is by the time you're writing it, it's your 20th book, it sounds like. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Because um, once I I have revisions of it, like I honestly revised the first 80 pages and 100 so pages over and over. I was very good at revising the first whatever pages that I managed to get out. I wasn't very good at finishing. And once I hunkered down and 
finished it, that stuff had to be revised. I was like, that didn't work. I had so much stuff in there. Um, Genesis had two bullies in there. Um, there were other characters I had to cut. There were a lot of other situations. I mean, she's gone. Like, there were a lot of other situations I put her in and places she gone. And all of that had to be whittled away to find out. And there were so many revisions of um, the only thing that was stayed the same was her voice on how she spoke. I think everything else had to be changed um, and, and whittled through. I had to... I had to really discover dad and mom and Sophia and Troy. Some of the other characters I really didn't know well. And through each revision, they came became more real to me. So no, it wasn't wasn't You weren't taking divine dictation at all. <laughs> One draft it was perfect. Oh, I wish. I've been reading on like some of our, uh, you know, the classics like Zora Neale and like all these people and they just typed it out and then you just see a few little things and it was done. How in the world did they do that? Like, how did you, how did they type a, 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 a story and you see little hand marks like move that there and, and that's it. And they had this masterpiece. Like, I don't know if I'm right, burning the right instance or not. But I'm not getting that fine. No, I'm not. I'm not getting. Uh, there is a lot. Of, there's a lot of doubt and a lot of growing to trust your own voice too. Um, with coming graduating, you kind of want to keep that momentum going, so you get writer groups, and everybody's on the same level, so they'll tell you things that they would like to see or how they would do it and you end up taking it and it's not yours so I think sometimes we we don't know how to separate what's best for the story versus what somebody else is wanting you to do or what they would do and I think that was my issue as well I took a lot of things that end up being cut out by my editor anyway well, was that useful to you, at least, to try it once and identify what is your voice versus what is you trying to make somebody else happy? Or was it just a total kind of a waste of time and uh, you wish you hadn't done it and the book would have taken less time to write if you had? <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it, with each, each, I say it was useful. Um, although, you know, I would love to say it was a waste of time, but no, I, I think it was useful because... Each time you try something, even if it doesn't work, you're thinking more about the story. You're thinking more about the characters. It got to the point, though, and I'm, I'm wondering this is, if this is the same for you or for other people who might have mentioned this. I would visualize Genesis in the scenes as, as it's a movie or something or a, a drama unfolding, and I would hear hear what she would say and I'll go back to my manuscript like yeah that's not how she would have said it I heard it better because I actually visualized how she would say it and how she would what attitude she would have it and it would change more so or it would bug me how I wrote it 
um, even with Troy, I was trying to trying to define his voice and I tried to make him talk, um, use a little slang and it didn't come out like that's not him. It doesn't feel authentic. So did you did you do any imagery or is that just me? Um, I mean, I've always got imagery and some music that I'll assign to particular characters. Um, and that way I, I kind of, that puts me in their headset a little bit. As far as like critique partners making suggestions that ultimately aren't for me, I like that sometimes because in defending them, I can come back with why I feel so strongly that that's not the answer. <laughs> and I can find a, a better version of the what I thought was my answer. Uh-huh. Sometimes just asking the question of why didn't I do the thing you want me to do? It's like, well, I didn't do it because I believe this. And now I know how to fix it and make me right. Because I'm not right now. That's why we're having this discussion. But you having said that and suggested this this uh, solution for me helps me zero in and fix my book in my way. I don't have a writing critique group or a partner now. So I wonder if it would be beneficial. So I'm still thinking about that. Did you get them and uh, when you were in your uh, master's program, kind of left over from that? Yes, it was kind of left over. And now it seems like everyone has their groups already established. And I'm like, almost like jump rope, wanting to jump in somebody's group. <laughs> but you I- saw that, cause obviously Genesis has finds this list of 96 things we hate about Genesis. Uh, and it's not complete at the time, so she very helpfully starts filling it in for <laughs> for them to, to finish up the list. And I read that you had uh, found a list about yourself. It was 100 Things We Hate About Alicia. And I wanted to ask you, one, uh, was that list complete? And two, why 96 things for um, uh, for Genesis and not 100? Um, so my list wasn't complete. But they had some really stupid things on there. I have to agree. Um, I We didn't have a lot of money, but obviously they watched me enough to know that I wore the same pants on Wednesday that I wore on Monday. So that made the list. I smiled too much, made the list. <laughs> so there were some really stupid things. Um, Angie, her name was Angela. I remember her name and I remember how she looks. And it's another girl I can't remember. But for Genesis... The original had 101 reasons. She made it over 100 reasons why she hated herself. And she had, I I wrote them all out too. I wrote them all out. Um, But through the revisions, scenes were cut out and those reasons were cut out. So it only made it to 96. Otherwise, if we had a part two, (laughs) well, she stopped the list. So, yeah, it wouldn't even be a continuation. But there were 101 reasons that I actually calculated. Because one of the titles that I came up with was 101 Reasons Why I Hate Myself. And they were like, that's too morbid. So we had to get rid of it. (laughs) Oh, that was a a working title for a while? That was a work. The End of the World was the first working title. The End of the World. And I remember sitting in a workshop. And I am not this deep but someone was commenting like it's just so amazing how she wrote the book with the character Genesis and made it the end of the world where it's the beginning and the ending and I was like that was not intentional I was just thinking how all middle kids feel like it's the end of the world like when something happens and so it changed from that to 101 reasons why I hate myself and I had to got 
I just I can I'm not good at titles. Actually, the publisher when I got the contract, it said Genesis begins again on the on the thing. I was like, oh, we changed it. Okay. Oh, I wondered. Uh, so it was always the character's name was always Genesis. Mm-hmm. I always wondered if he had the clever title and then worked backwards. <laughs> it's no. a great title, Genesis Begins Again. I was going. I, I was going to. I was at a vis- visiting a school and I was just looking at the names on the cubbies, and I was. I came across Genesis and I said, Genesis as a first name, huh? I like that, and. I st- honestly, that's where the name came from. I saw it at, at a school that somebody had a name Genesis, and I didn't know people were using it as a first name. And yeah, that's where it came from. In retrospect, if somebody was making a detailed list about you, about what clothes you were wearing and when, and how much smiling you were doing and everything else, did it ever occur to you? Maybe they just kind of liked you a bit. <laughs> <laughs> so- <laughs> that's a lot of, lot of work they were putting into that hate. <laughs> I was like, I don't understand. Like, is everybody getting a list of reasons? Why me? Like, I could not understand what I did to these girls so bad, so offensive that they would notice me and then slide this note. Or I don't forget how I got the note, but like, I, I, I promise you, I think it was because there was a guy that I was friends with. I mean, I, I, I did get along with boys better. And he was a cute guy. And I think somebody might have liked him, maybe. But he was just, I, I knew him from the neighborhood. And that's why we were friends. But I don't know if they thought that we liked each other. But, like, this is middle school. You hating me for no reason. I smile too much. I smile too much. <laughs> I don't have an answer. I didn't write the list. <laughs> I wouldn't be on my why I hate you list. That would be like, oh, that would be my positive attributes of Alicia list. Smiles a lot. That's nice. <laughs> oh, my God. It's like a list of five hastily scrawled things. Like, okay, that's legitimate. You probably do hate me. Enough to the point that you wrote five things, but 100? 101? Uh-huh. Yeah, you like were, you're they, thinking about me entirely too much. <laughs> like, where were you thinking? Like sitting there, crossed together, like yeah, and and number number five, put this down. Like you, like you really thought you observed me for days. There's a lot of people that they could have also been hating during that time that <laughs> got skipped over, so they can really focus. <laughs> like I wish I could remember uh, the last names. Like, yeah, what was that list again? Uh, that'd be really petty. Well, that's that's what I suspect. I think somebody had a secret question. They're just like, oh, I just I hate her so much. You know what? We're gonna do it today. We're gonna spend another afternoon just talking about how much we hate her. <laughs> I, just, I hate her perfect hair and how it flows beautifully over her shoulder. And I just think about it all the time. <laughs> and, and, and little Alicia was everything but. I was heavy set. Of course, my hair wasn't getting done because we were poor. Like, like, I was quiet. I was friendly, though. I thought I was. You know, Yeah, I, I guess I would hate me, too. Look at, like, look at all that chunk, all that love. To, yeah, I would hate me, too. Look at her. She's cute. In retrospect, she's cute. you agree with them. <laughs> she's she cute with all that cute smiling she doing. I guess, I guess that's a reason to hate my cute smile. No. Uh, 
At some point, though, because, you know, you have these issues that you, you preserved and you've written about and, and bequeathed to Genesis, like all my hatred, my, my self-loathing from middle school. I now, now that you've given it to Genesis, can you let it go? Or is there still some of it left rattling around in, in your subconscious, despite having lived a wonderful life and, you know, gotten beyond uh, middle school? Is it is it gone? Did you put it down and it's gone from you or is it still there? It's, it'll be there until I need it again. Like, and there, there may be another story I'm going to have to conjure it for. So it's not in me. Interesting, though, that you mention it. Um, the colorism became too much while I was writing Genesis. So you deal with it and you just ignore it, like, all your life. You, you know it. You recognize it. You just kind of close off to it. But when I was writing it, it was raw. Everything was raw again. Um, every there were there were instances where it was just too much and too as an adult. So I, my cousin is very light. Where she you 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 can tell if she was um, multiracial or uh, Latina. You couldn't tell anything depending on how she wears her hair. But she's African-American. She's just a very light skin and her hair texture is different. And um, we went out <clears throat> to meet someone and the waiters, I'm sitting right next to her. They asked her what she wanted to drink and they never even asked me. I was like, I'm, I'm sitting right next to her. Not across from her, but they came back and they brought her something to drink. And I'm like, Did, they're not going to even ask me. And then at that time we were uh, out, we went to a party and everyone else was light-skinned as well. So we come out the restroom and I'm the last one and the guys are like, oh, hey, hi, you cute. Hey, you know, whatever they're doing. And they get to me, he was like, oh, you the chocolate one of the bunch. And it was just like, oh, why are we continuously doing this? And so it was just every, the instances were um, so raw still because I was I was more aware of it where before I could just turn a blind eye to it. And so I don't know. I had to put the book down for a while because the experiences were becoming it was too hurtful to feel again. You know, once you are able to tune it out to, to feel it again, it's just too hurtful. And uh, I don't know what to tell you. The world's sometimes a very bad place with a whole lot of dumb views. And <laughs> if I could figure out how to get it to stop, I would. <laughs> I know. We got to work on that one. <laughs> I know. Um, I was going to I was gonna tell somebody's story that's not mine, and they probably wouldn't appreciate it, so I'm not going to. Uh, but I will say that uh, one thing that I changed, uh, as I, I mentioned at the start of the show, as I do every uh, show, that my character, Banneker Bones, is a biracial boy. Uh, and the cover currently is a giant robot bee that looks kind of suspiciously like a, bat, a Batman-type cover. That, that's not an accident. Uh, but the first cover, uh, we had Banneker on the front. And when I had the cover illustrator work on it, I sent him a picture of my son, who's biracial, an extremely light-skinned, at least at, at, at this point from age zero to five, very light-skinned. We'll see, you know, we'll see what happens. Um, and I said, well, just make Banneker look as much like him as possible. 
Uh, and then I had complaints uh, from kids telling me I thought Banneker was uh, biracial and this kid's white. What's the deal? And I was like, oh, well, there, there is no there is no winning. There's no shade that's going to make everybody happy. So let's take him off the cover and let's put a giant robot bee in you imagine. And whatever shade you want Banneker Bones to be, that's the shade he is. So long as you understand that this is not a white child. This I've gone out of my way to make sure you know this is a biracial detective. Mm-hmm. Which is not equivalent to the abuse endured by either you or or Genesis. It's just what I had to contribute to the conversation at this yeah, point. But your your son will have that abuse. <laughs> yes, I'm sure it will. On the other extreme is um not to be neglected, you know, to, to override. I mean, my colorism is is we, we tend to focus on colorism against dark skinned uh people. And it's very prevalent, but I do understand, and I can't even imagine the colorism that, and the hurtfulness that happens to light-skinned people. You know, like you, the accusations of your privilege, or which I'm pretty sure people admit to their privilege, or you think you better, or you're thinking because when you look at, um, uh, the documentary. The torture, they get their hair pulled on because you think you're cute, you know, or you have colored eyes and the abuse that they get um, or being ostracized for it. So that's something to explore, too. Um, I try to do a little bit with mom. But there's so much more that I could have gone into with her story as well. Um, So, like, I do know that I touched on her growing up, but also you know, her mom didn't want her to play outside and get dark. And there's so much more to it that they, they experience that I think, including that, I think that's what maybe your audience is like, I need you, I need to see that reflection. Not so much the whiteness of it. I need to see the brownness reflection because we don't, we don't see ourselves enough. And that, that's a whole group that aren't, that you don't even have a lot of literature on. So I think that, that, for me, is them screaming to say, just make it recognizable enough that I can see myself. Yeah. That yeah, makes sense to me. So, but although as I was reading Genesis, you know, I grew up, uh, obviously, I have not changed much since I was a child. I still heterosexual, white and male with blonde hair, blue eyes. Uh, and I, I identified with Genesis journey because like, yeah, of course I found reasons to hate myself all through middle school. <laughs> I don't know of that many adolescents who didn't go home and look at the look in the mirror and go, oh, I hate you. And, and if you're somebody listening and you didn't have that experience, good for you, I guess. <laughs> that, must, that must be nice. I think most most adolescents don't have that. And when you have these uh, institutionalized systems to show you that there's something wrong with you, that just seems to intensify it and make it that much worse. I imagine. Mm-hmm. I agree. Um, first of all, I like to I like to hear from the people who hadn't experienced that. But uh, uh, you know, but on the flip side, it's so amazing how. And I would love to hear, but I don't want to be all narcissistic. <laughs> I would love to hear what, how people identify with it because I get readers from all spectrums. You know, uh, my mom said. Hey, do you think people want to read this that's not black or you know African American girls? I was like, well, I surely hope so. 
And amazingly, I have adult white males who have told me they read the book. And I'm like, you know, you're not even a teacher. You don't have to read this that read the book. I had young students, sixth graders and seventh graders, white white males who read the book. And they're like, Miss Williams, I read your book. And it's re-. I'm like, you read it? And I just didn't even think they would pick up my book. Maybe, but they picked it up because they knew me. But they read it and they identified with it. Um, so I'm just, I mean, from the far spectrum to the people who feel like you wrote my my colorism story or my hate uh, self-hate story. I mean, I'm just amazed that the readership, I can't peg it to be this this one reader. I'm I'm blown away and I wonder like, wow, there must be magic mixed in because you can identify with it. And I'm so honored that whatever's in there that people got something from it and see themselves. That did you have uh, an ideal reader in mind originally when you wrote the story? I didn't. I didn't. I know you should. They say that. Who's your audience? I I didn't. I just I just wrote the story. If I knew the surefire way of how to write a successful book each and every time, my friend. <laughs> we can we can write that. We can, we can publish that. It'd be a bestseller. Like. <laughs> Like, I don't know. I know that I I spend a lot of time at the computer crying. Um, I've spent a lot of time thinking about it, you know, and, and nights. I spent a lot of times where it woke me up and like, or I could be out in the theater and I'm like, ah, that's looking at the play. Ah, that's why my dad is the way he is. Or I have a conversation and we're talking about something and I'll connect it back. Like, oh, yes, that's good. And it'll connect and reveal something about my character through a conversation. So I know that it was constantly evolving through the world that around me. Which something that attracts you to writing is trying to make sense of why people do the things they do and and how they become who they are. Is that pretty central? I think so. I mean... Maybe because I'm still trying to figure out why I'm doing the things I do and how I'm to be. But because we are so much of evolving, I think that is a central thing. Why? Who are we? You know, and I think that probably is why it affects so many people, because we're like, how did we get this way? And maybe that's how I am. And we see the the humanity in that. Like we all are trying to figure out and make sense of our backstory of our lives and why we make the decisions. You know, um, I had a I had a, a, a adult male said to me, he said, I, I was so mad at the dad. I was so angry. But it made me realize that how my daughter must feel when I make these some promises and break them. And I didn't even make that connection. Yeah, dad makes some promises because he's the alcoholic. Like you are a man, you have, a, you're, you're, you're in a um, marriage, you've got a good job, so does your wife, you're not suffering. You know, um, everything is successful in your life, but you've broken some promises and you can identify with somebody that is, you know, doing the same thing on a different level, right? And that spoke to me, like we're always, 
trying to figure out well, maybe why we feel this way. And, and, and that does drive even the project I'm working on. Why is it that we, we, we act the way we do? Not just, it just can't ever be we just act the way we do. It's a reason why. There's a reason why those girls wrote a hundred reasons why they hate me. And this just can't be because they like me, right? Or they're jealous of me or they see something in me. They see something in themselves that they have to decide. Like, are their parents measuring them up to something and they see it in me? Like, there has to be a reason. And I kind of, I do think about that. Maybe that's a Libra in me. <laughs> that's a Libra. To, why are we here? What are we evolving to? Why do you, who are you? Like, and it, it probably is, but there is, and that's what I do search out in some of my stories. So usually, I'm assuming, just based on our conversation, you will always start with a character and worry about plot secondary? Yeah. Like you could say, Genesis wasn't plotted out. It's character-driven. And Sydney, my story with Sydney is, I kind of have the essence of where I want the story to go. But I don't know how to get there. So it's not necessarily plot-driven. I know that I need... Sydney to deal with overcoming and finding her voice of overcoming and being able to speak to her father who feels like she's he's squashing her voice um, and how will she be an activist in this time where's her voice there how she gets there I got to figure that out so it is I do have a problem that I need to work through so you have some idea of where you're going to end up more or less okay yeah, I'm fascinated by people because that's a little bit the opposite of me because I'm, I'm a plot first. Like, OK, I've got I know I want to do a haunted house. There's going to be aliens. Who is the most interesting, boring person you can put in that situation that's not going to have time for it? A finance guy. Let's get let's get a financial consultant who's going to be uh, let's do the numbers only because how horrifying for him that now he has to deal with ghosts and aliens. So I start there and then find my character working backwards and you're doing the opposite. So when does an idea come to you or does it a character that comes to you and you say, OK, this is who this next story is going to be about. And now I got to go find a plot for you. Now, one, I'm fascinated that you can your mind works in that way, which is the plot. And without the characters first. Um, but I don't know. Let, let me think about that. I do see my character. And I know, <clears throat> I know, I know, I, <clears throat> excuse me, I know where I kind of want it to go. But I see. Instead of plots, I see smaller scenes. Okay. So I have a scene, I, I see for, for a while, I just see a scene where there's a confrontation, right? And then I, uh, with her and her dad, I see a scene where she has to confront her mom, like, you're not, you're not speaking for me, you know? I see a scene where she is confronting, um, the idea of wanting to be at this at this march or at this protest movement, but runs away. And how she deals with it. So I see the certain scenes. I don't know where what comes first. I don't know like 
my beginning, middle, and end yet. Um, as I start looking at those scenes and, and thinking about those scenes and even trying to write those scenes out with the characters I have in mind, the other things start to take fruition. Uh, more, more scenes come as I start playing out with, plotting out what makes her afraid. What makes her, um, how did I do that? Like what makes her afraid? What did, what did she really want to do? So I'm trying to stick with, I don't know if it's a formula, like, so what does she needs be, or else, what does she needs to die for? That's the central question. She needs to find her voice and break away from people's expectations of her. If she's to be anybody, so what are those stakes? If she doesn't find those, find her voice and, and stop living under expectations, what's gonna happen? What, what what's the worst thing that's going to happen? And it's got to be something urgent. And I'm still struggling with that, right? Besides what? Besides that, she won't ever find her voice. I need to make it even as I start plotting this out, or you know, like working with the scenes. I need to make it even more real, because Genesis was real and urgent, right? She's if she doesn't if she doesn't do it, then her her dad's gonna keep gambling and she's gonna have to get evicted again. If she gets evicted again, they're gonna have to go move a grandma and they don't wanna move a grandma. That's With good reason. Good reason, <laughs> right? So I yet have found out yet, I'm still struggling. It's like, what's the urgency here? If she doesn't find her voice, what's the urgency? She just doesn't find it. So I need to find what's gonna cause that urgency. And with Genesis, there were challenges to be beautiful, right? She got herself in some trouble. No trouble, no story. Sure. She got into too And you have absolutely no trouble torturing your character for all of our entertainment because she's, she's very compelling. <laughs> it was so much more tr- torturing that we cut out because... <laughs> side note, people were like, um, I want another Genesis. Like, I, like, I need to know. And I was like... I can't do another Genesis. Like, there's no more trouble she can get into. She's done it all. Like, she stole a credit card. She's, like, wrote a book. Like, there's no more trouble she can get into. I don't, there can't be another <laughs> Genesis. Lordy, she has learned from her mistakes. But, um, like. The title writes itself. Genesis begins again, again, right? Again, and again, again. Bridges again, again, again. Um. But like and with seven the, books by the time you're done. <laughs> oh my gosh. I have thought about it. My mom even read the book. She, she's a slow reader. It took her six months to read the book. <laughs> she said, I got it. I know what you could do. And I was like, what is it? She could disappear. I was like, she disappeared already. My like, she's gonna, she's gonna plot it out for me. I we'll see if it's worth me writing again. But I would love to, but it write another Genesis, a companion novel, but it has to feel real for me. I just can't do it and push it out. You know, I'm not that, I'm not prolific at all. I take, I spend too much time really marinating on the stories first. Um, and like, like I was saying with, with, with Sydney, I, I, I'm struggling to figure out what's at stake and what trouble can she get in? And, and if if it's okay that the story doesn't have that formula, because I know that's what they teach you in graduate school, right? But what if she what if what if she doesn't get in a whole lot of trouble? 
would it be still be a good story? And that's what I'm still fighting with myself, like as I try to draw out things. So when it's go time, you know, there's another payment due on your gold plated laptop. <laughs> so we gotta <laughs> gotta make sure it's secure. When it's time to really get into the story and, and write, what does that look like for you? What's a, what's a writing day look like? Now that I'm not teaching full time, um, I come home, take a break, mental break. I'm trying to I'm trying to get back in the gym, so I'll either go to the gym for an hour, take a mental break, and I'll write from five to eight. So I've started. I picked up this manuscript, and what I did was I I looked at what I had and salvaged what I liked and threw the rest away. But I'll I'll just write. Like away, away, or just put it in another file where you can access it if you need it? Yeah, it's, it's in another file. I always label draft one, two, three. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so I, I I fight against the urge of sabotaging myself with the questions. What point of view? First, present, uh, first tense, past, I mean, present tense, past tense. You know, I'll, 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 I will find every reason to like, oh, well, maybe let me research. Stop this. I'm fighting against the habit of just parlaying around. Right. So I was set five to eight. Sometimes I can't make it the whole way through, but that's my time to like. Write. And if I can't write anymore, then I will definitely start back from the beginning and read and make questions. So I'll write. So I'll pick, uh, I'll write the possible scenes in my journal. Like this is what I can see happening and I'll write it. I have to skip around cause I can't, I wish I could write linear. That's what I'm trying to do. Um, but I have to skip around cause I can't figure out what's going on in the story yet. So I'll give my permission, just write a sloppy draft and I'm writing a scene between her and her friend um trying to develop that character what would it look like on on the first day of school if that's when the scene takes place um what does it look like in the classroom write a scene about this so i'm writing out scenes which i know have to kind of combine into chapters or whatever but i have my mind is not yet ready to write a whole chapter um that will come back in the revision where i add in setting um and things i'm weaker at setting I'm weaker at and um, inner inner monologue I'm weaker at. So I have to stop and think about it. And I, that's what I'll do when I can't write anymore. I'll go to that chapter where, you know, she's in this class and she notices that she's probably one of the few black people. What does she thinks about this? Does she notice anybody looking at her? Does she feel a certain way? So then that's when I'll add in those things and I'll make a note about it or, um, how does she feel when dad speaks to her? What's what's going through her mind? Then I'll go back and add those things in. If I can't, if I just can't free write anymore about that scene. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, you're writing, you're just doing it kind of in layers. Yeah. I just, I wish um, I, I knew a better process. Like with Genesis, and this is uh, what I'll also do is I'll go back and write out for my sanity, each scene I have, I'll write, I'll write out where it is, um, 
I'm trying to keep a timeline, but I think that comes at last. I struggle with timing so much with Genesis that I had like keeping up with the track of days and the weeks that passed. So I know that's my weakness and I'll get a calendar later, but I just kind of want to see what happens here. Um, so I'll write the day, what, what, what uh, scene it is, who's in it, uh, what happens, what questions I have, um, and what questions are answered. So if there's so a question... These scenes are well planned before you're ever sitting down and writing, it was a dark and stormy night, and you're... Uh, so you're, you're well this is after I go back and read them. Okay. I'll go back and read them. I'll write, okay. Or oh, this scene is, I wrote it outside the gym. It's in the gym, and it also moves outside of the school. Um, it's how many pages... Um, how how many oh the questions I have how many uh black students in the classroom how many this oh but I answered this uh, and as I go back and as I continue reading I'll I answer that and I check it off okay. I'm, I'll check it off and like answered in scene blah 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 um then I what the topic is about oh this is the scene uh that that dad and Dad takes Sydney to her job, to his job. Oh yeah, what happens here? I write it down. What bothers me? What question that might arise here? Why did she? Why did he bring him to the job? Why to meet the people he worked with? Uh, does this mean something? Like, is that a plot that's going to develop later? Why did I include that scene? And it might be something that cut out because it doesn't move the story at all. It's just a scene that I wrote. And so, is this draft two you're doing this, or is this while you're drafting one well, before you know the well, full I'm ending? Because I don't, I don't, I don't have it written out like everything. So now that I am in the part where I got like over a hundred pages, I could draft a little bit more. I got a little bit more done. So now I can write first act, second act, third act what I think is going to happen and why, right? Okay. Um, may not happen, but it may. Like in this story, what is the event that is she's protesting? I don't know yet. Like, is it somebody close to her? Somebody that's in the community? Somebody that's not? And this depends on how much is going to be at stake, Right. So I'm still trying to figure out the story of it. So like I'm working on another one and in the meantime to give me space to kind of catch up with my thoughts. I know that I want a story about a girl and her grandmother. I lost my grandmother before Genesis came out. Genesis was supposed to be out by the time, but 2017, I lost her in 2018, that fall. And she was like one of those women that we were at the family reunion and this man kept looking at me during the service. They, every Sunday of our family reunion is when we have a church service before everybody leaves. And the man stopped, the preacher stopped the service. And he was like, I just keep looking at you. And I was like, oh, Lord, he going to know I'm the biggest sinner. Oh, my God. He going he 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 to call me out in front of my, everybody. But he said, <laughs> he said, I keep looking at you because 
you have a calling on your life. You're chosen to do something. And my grandmother was sitting up front and she turned around and she saw it was me. I promise you, every time I talked to her on the phone, she was like, Lee, what do you think that preacher meant when he said that you were chosen? I'm like, I don't know, Grandma. She's like, I think I think it's got something to do with your writing. Every not fail, like, Lee, remember when I preached? I was like, yep, it was just two weeks ago, Granny. I think it has something to do. Like, she was, she was harping on my writing so much that the book didn't come out. And she didn't ever get the chance to see it. I have this feeling, like, those last days I was in the hospital with her, feeding her. And I just feel like I want something a story about a mom and her grandmother and and how we deal with grief. And so my my daughter was like, have them take an epic adventure. And I was like, well, how do I have them take an epic adventure? Like if she's old and, and is she sick? You know, so I'm like, how does that work? So now I know that I want the story. Perhaps it'll have an epic adventure in it if I could work it out. But I know, like, and in in I'm not, I'm writing the name, character name, Dahlia, Grandma, Old, Grief, there's more. What's going to make them connect and what's going to get in the way? And Dad, he loves her. That's not the mom. They're not. So I'm, I'm trying to plot out my characters first. Um... Mom, how about Dahlia's already de- dealing with grief? So that makes it even more of a challenge for her to deal, have to deal with her mom. Mom's deceased. Huh. But I need more characters because I need, I need some conflict. Huh, auntie, how about she holds something against mom? So we're dealing with, let's talk about forgiveness. Yes, we need forgiveness. So I'm, that's a bigger thing. There's got to be forgiveness because when in grief, I've been through it enough. I know I have to forgive myself. My dad died. I had to forgive myself for feeling like I let him die. My brother was killed. I And I don't know if my last words to him were the best words. Um, and then when granny died, I have, she wanted me to come back to the hotel. And, I mean, not to, the hospital and stay with her. It was stormy. I did not come to stay with her that night. And I was like, thinking I had more time. So I forgiveness, like my granny left messages like, I need you here, I'm scared. I did not go to the hospital because of freaking storm. And I, how come I could just, and I did not have that opportunity to stay with her. I have to have forgiveness. So I'm like, I gotta work this feeling out. So I have drawn this mapping out. I need to know how am I gonna get to grieving at the end, but forgiveness. How does this aunt settle with her forgiveness with her? How does Dahlia settle with her forgiveness of forgiving herself that her mom died? How does this, so I'm trying to figure out this, like I am drawing it out before I even write a story there with this one. And I'm trying to figure out. So then I move from that because I still don't know about this epic trick that my daughter suggested. Like how can, that, that, that will be sound so great, right? And that would be the trouble I'm looking for, right? No trouble, no story. She she sets off on this 
and 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 what if the major thing that granny's hospitalized so yeah that'd be great how can i make it work so relax let's start with the the opening which i think is the opening and who is dahlia and why does she feel like she is not that you know feeling with uh, like um her feelings with about her mom passing and how long ago or whatever how long ago it was and how is life with her with her and dad so i got to start in the mid middle somewhere you know and dad is he still grieving and how is, does he handle this so i'm i'm writing that out so and how I'm, how do you decide your opening because when when i'm doing like a straightforward plot this is a haunted house story it starts we open with let's buy the haunted house that makes sense but with this, where you've got just a, a storm of characters and emotions and, and things that you've got to uh, move into a cohesive plot, how do you pick that starting scene? And how often is that starting scene that you pick actually the starting scene in the, the final book? You know, this starting scene, because I, 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 how did I, I just started with her, her Dahlia just speaking. Yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't a, like, it, I just start. Like, I didn't plan on it, and I don't know if it'll be there. The uh, Sydney book, I started, I just started with, okay, what's she feeling like today? Genesis stayed at the Air Vision estate. It started with her coming home from school, seeing her stuff evicted. It stayed right in the action of it um, because I knew that she was dealing with evictions, right? Um, That's a great opening. Pulls you right in because you're immediately, oh my, this poor woman or this poor girl. What's what's going to happen next? My, my God, what a terrible <laughs> start <laughs> she's got. Yeah, that that stayed the same. I, I just put it right in. And I guess I could have I could have started with her being in school on the, you know, I could, I guess I could have started with her in the middle of, um, dad come home gambling. I, I don't know. It just, I wish I had something in depth. It's just like, maybe that's the only thing I get divinely. I don't know. Like well, sometimes I, I find this, I don't know if you find this, but sometimes it's like uh, dousing for water with the stick. Like you're going around, you just feel like, oh, it's here, it's here. This is the spot. I don't know if that if that metaphor holds true for what you're up to or not. Yeah. So so like yeah, I think it is. It's just feeling it. Wherever I start is, I know there's usually usually they say wherever you start, you're throwing it out anyway. That yeah, <laughs> you say. Uh, yeah, I've heard that. Yeah, that's what they say because it doesn't, it's no action there. So I try to start where, with Genesis, where there will be the action. And um, I don't know if my, my grandmother book would be that way or not because I'm, I feel like I need to start with the moment before grandma arrives on the scene. 
And you know going in all the emotions that you're bringing from your life that you know you need to process. And so you're from day one, you've got them. I know I'm going to work these end of the book. Whereas I'm starting with my plot, and I get to the end, and I start breaking down a cry. I'm like, oh, my God, it was me the whole time, and now I know that's what I was dealing with. And I hadn't acknowledged it until I get there. Whereas you know going in that that's, that's what you're going to be processing. That sounds much healthier, honestly. <laughs> but you know what? Like... So I know that like my daughter deals with mental health issues. So I know I, I want to speak to that, the anxiety, depression. And unfortunately, I got to kind of not have every book with the same issues. I don't know. I feel like I'm working out issues myself, like because it's, it's in both of these stories I just told you about, you know, um, the anxiety and depression and grief. Grief brings on depression. I was dealing with it when I found out that my daughter um, tried to commit suicide. I mean, I had to go get counseling and I realized the depression runs in my family. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm 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 working out things. And maybe that's why. And, you know, I lost my dad. I lost my brother. I lost my I lost so many people back to back. And maybe that's why grief is still coming up, that I'm working out these issues that I haven't yet sorted out i don't know because like i was thinking about it, it's like wow my stories feel like they're dealing with the same type of emotions and perhaps you know like with genesis i needed to deal with self-love and that's where it came from you know i'm dealing with all the self-hate or and it's affecting me and maybe i need to deal with it this internalized risk system and put it out there and heal and perhaps i'm subconsciously I'm dealing with the mental health issues that's going on and the grieving that's going on and having wanting to speak up when you feel like you don't have a voice. That's why I'm trying to work out. And maybe that's you know what's going it, in that you can include it in your in your your journals and your outlines and everything. You know that, hey, I have this stuff. I go ahead and admit my own uh, human frailty and weakness that this has to be dealt with. And I'm going to put it on the table. That's fascinating. <laughs> Wait a minute, you, you've you interviewed tons of authors. I'm not the only one that thinks like this, I hope not. Um, No, but I, I, I always make the joke that if I ever talk to three authors in a row that are all successful and all do the exact same thing, I'm canceling this podcast, I'm going to start doing that. <laughs> <laughs> so there's just so many different ways to approach and do you know similar things. Like you talk to enough readers, you get some, or enough writers, you get some variation of read a lot and write a lot. Because guess what? You're going to have, everybody has to do those two things. But within that, within those, um, within those parameters of things that have to happen, go in and no works. No, I think you're the first person I've talked to, at least that admitted uh, that they knew exactly what emotion was and what parts of their life they needed to deal with within a story going in. Wow. So like with Genesis, um, that was the hard part because I I used this book called The Scene Book and I was writing out just scenes that the emotion wasn't flowing through. And my editor was like, the emotion is not connecting, right? And so I had to write on these big papers. I wrote each scene out and the emotions that were in each scene. When these it, are like up on a wall someplace? Yep, I have a... I have a clear wall over here and I put up my big papers and I wrote each scene down on and I posted it on um, actually Facebook and uh, Instagram and then you see all the stick sticky notes and everything. 
Um, but yeah, so the opening may have a scene like with Genesis, uh, she's excited, right? And then there's like embarrassment. And then there's like at the end, she's furious that dad has done this again. Well, it ends. So I picked it up with the next scene. Not necessarily the chapter, but I thought it was a chapter. But I had to build up to it. Like, I can't just have a different emotion at the opening of that scene. Unless it's a, she still has to carry on. Even if it's two days, I need to touch on the fact that she was still furious with dad. So I wasn't connecting all of these. It was like, okay, we're over it. Nope, we're not. We got to go back and touch on it. So that's where I know not necessarily every emotion, but I feel like I know the bigger emotions that are going to be in there. Like with, with, with death and, you know, you got your joy, you got your, you got your um, shame and guilt that we all experience. And there's that whole pain. But so I know the bigger emotions, but as they go from scene to scene, that that'll evolve as I know what happens. So where's, um, I'm going to call it the juice, but that's the wrong term. Where's the thing that, that keeps you going? Because I, I, for, for me, I know it's finding out, I have an idea what the ending is going to be, but it's finding out how the characters are going to get there and, and how they're going to overcome their, their problem or, or fail to, uh, who's going to die, who's going to live all that fun stuff. Um, but when you know all of this going in, what is it that, that gets you excited, that keeps you writing uh, long enough to finish the manuscript? I haven't figured that one out yet because I have not finished this manuscript. Like, I need... <laughs> I not want to the beginning of it. Like, like I'm, I get to a point where I get to the middle and I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what happens. I'm yeah, but I'm sure you had that happen with Genesis as well, and you obviously finish it and finish it again and finish it again until you had the the final version. I got, I think it, the idea of um, discovery excites me too. When I really, it's like a puzzle, and you get the piece, and like it goes right there, and like I didn't, I didn't know that. Like, it's a whole discovery. I'll have my jazz going, my John Coltrane going, and, and I'm writing along, and it's like, oh, my gosh, is that what she's feeling? And I think what gets me going, another thing that gets me going is when I talk to someone or if I'm out and I get a revelation about something. I'm like, oh, yes. It's just like that little burst of epiphany. If I'm at a play and I get something and I'm like, that connects back to my story and it's just like oh god let me hurry up it's magical to get to write oh, that down that i recognize that's the same okay that oh, makes sense <laughs> thank you because i was like i feel like a a one like a one only like i gotta i gotta read some more books on the right because i'm like struggling yeah <laughs> I know, the proof is on the pudding. Your your <laughs> your book works. So as I'm listening to you, I'm like, I know that this process ends with a fascinating book. And there there are, are points where I recognize as either that's similar to my process or that's similar to somebody else's process. But there are other parts that, that 
it's the same thing, but it's 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 the inverse. It's rotated. You're starting with character versus I'm starting with plot, uh-huh. uh, but we're we're still coming across a lot of the same um, milestones along the way. So there's enough there that's similar. Oh, isn't the world vast and interesting? <laughs> so many different ways to do the same thing. Yeah, that's all, that's all. I don't I don't mean to make you feel self conscious whatsoever. Hear me loud and clear. Genesis begins again. Absolutely works, and I have no doubt that the grandma story, when you get it there, is going to work. I'm just interested in the process that get it, it gets it there. And when I hear it's so different than what I'm used to, and I know that your book comes out the way it comes out. Somebody's smart talking. Focus. <laughs> There's something that this, that Alicia's doing that if you did, you could be a little bit smarter. <laughs> I wish I could. I wish I could. I wish I could just see it all. Like somebody said they had a dream and it was just all there or I'm just like, how do you do that? But it's not me. I see things in snatches and it's like revealed at times. And I just have to fill in the blanks and hope it works. What really kills me are that I'm not going to author shame, but the uh, people that write, you know, I write a romance every month, every two months. Uh, I know the story going on. I sit down, I write it, I revise it, turn it in next book. That's who I want to, in my next life, that's the kind of writer I want to be. I'm not. I've, I've given up trying to, to make myself into that kind of writer. But it's like, that sounds convenient. That sounds like regular <laughs> royalty checks coming. <laughs> that's what I want. I keep thinking, I want to do something. I need to learn how your way, the plot, because I would love to write a small, you know, some uh, chapter books to just keep, you know, something fun and adventurous. That way I can focus when I want to on the heavy stuff and just give myself a break from being in these deep emotions. Uh, Maybe, but I think we all write the kind of books that, you know, you said that when we started that uh, the thing you bring to a story is that Alicia D. Williamsness, And it sounds like (laughs) this is the essentialness of the, the Alicia D. Williamsness. This is how you get there. Yeah. Thank you. I know we're uh, past the time we said we'd go towards, so it's about time to call it a day. I don't want to wear you out and talk your face off. Um, I know other authors will be wondering why I didn't ask you at least two more questions to call it a day. Uh, I have to ask you, Alicia D. Williams, have you ever seen a flying saucer and do you believe in them? Because that's the show I always ask. I do believe in them, but have never seen them. But I watched a lot of uh, conspiracy documentaries on them. I love, love, love. I think it's fascinating. Me too. I'm sure they're out there. Uh, and then my last question. <laughs> I hope not. How, what a what a waste of space. Um, which I think I stole from Contact. So there you go. I'll, I'll own that. Um, and then my last question for you, uh, and then we'll call it a day, uh, is if there was one piece of advice you could go back and give yourself at the start of your writing career that would have made things easier for you. Um, that would have made a, a significant difference, what one or two things would you go back and tell yourself? Mm, I would tell myself to trust myself. Like, trust yourself. Stop doubting. I know that it's who we are. We don't believe in ourselves enough, but trust yourself. Go go forward unabashedly, like with the risk that you had when you were just jumping up and moving to each state without money. Do that with your writing. Just jump, go forward, dive in, and just love every experience of it. Um, laugh more. Laugh more. Don't, don't, 
Don't feel all the pain of it. Give yourself some breaks to laugh more with it and enjoy that. I think sometimes we get so frustrated because we're, you know, hungry for it. And and one, lastly, don't measure yourself against other people. Everybody's journey is so different. Everybody has their own flow, their ups and downs. They can put out books at a fast pace. Some you may take slower. Your journey is your journey. Your starting point is your starting point. And don't look to the right, to the left. Look at your path. And I would say that to myself because I think sometimes we get caught up in a noise like, I wish I was like, or gosh, they got this. And gosh, like what's meant for you would be for you. You just keep working. It's wonderful advice. Alicia, I've so much enjoyed this conversation. Just absolutely fascinating. I'm going to go back. I'm going to listen to it. I'm going to take notes. I'm going to say, yes, this is how I become more like Alicia D. Williams. Thank you very much for uh, making the time to do this today. Where uh, can esteemed audience find you online, stock you, and, and buy all your books? Sure. Um, at my website, it's aliciadwilliams.com. And on Twitter, at Stories to Life. And my Instagram is Alicia Diane 70. Please follow me. I have like a thousand followers. <laughs> Nobody knows me. <laughs> <laughs> I think you I think I have like five on Instagram. I just joined like a week ago. <laughs> so you, you're blowing me out of the water. <laughs> I know. I'm beating you, Rob, by 500. <laughs> And I don't, I don't even know what my Instagram handle is to promote it to get more. <laughs> I haven't looked at it since I started. It's like out. a password. Just keep forgetting them. They keep changing. That's a password. Yes. And go to your indie bookstores. And I would love to support our local indie bookstores if we can. And as always, esteemed audience, find me at middlegradeninja.com. When I remember what my Instagram handle is, I'll put it there. You can follow me if you want and look forward to my posts once a month. <laughs> That'll be exciting. Uh, Alicia, I've been uh, asking all of our guests to sign us off with the totally ninja-like sign-off phrase, hi-ya, and what have you. Will you sign us off? Yeah. Hi-ya, what have you.